Well, what are we doing now? Here we are this morning, and we have now come through a selection of a new senior pastor. We've gone through the installation. We've gone through the selection. We've gone through the affirmation process. And some of you might be asking the question, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now, in fact, was one of the questions I've been asking my entire life. Even as a little boy growing up in Oklahoma, I would often ask my parents, probably most every day, what are we going to do now? My personality is I'm always ready for the next thing. I'm always looking for what accomplishment is next and what thing we can do. And so even today when I visit my parents in Oklahoma, if there's a lull in the conversation, you might hear my dad jokingly quoting me saying, what are we going to do now? So what are we going to do now? What's next for Grace Bible Church now that we're here? Of course, you know that anytime there's change in leadership, whether it's in a church or any organization, anytime there's a change in leadership, there's going to be things that change over time, right? But first things first, what I want, what I want us to do together this morning is before we even begin to think about what's going to change, we're going to take some time to review the things that are never going to change, Things of primary importance, the reason why we're ultimately here. This morning I'm going to begin a six-week series. Working through some of my favorite passages in the life and the ministry of Jesus. As you know, if you've been around here at Grace, you know that uh, when Andy retired, he went through a series of his favorite passages. And so I'm going to begin a series here with some of my favorite passages. Some of my favorite passages in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we've entitled this series, Joy in the Journey. As we remind ourselves afresh of why we're really here and see the joy in the journey of following Jesus. So what are we doing now? To begin this series, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 4 as we take a look together at verses 18 through 22 together this morning. Simply put, as we take a look here at Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22, we're going to see, we're going to be reminded of what it really means to follow Jesus. And as simple as that sounds... We're going to see just how complex it really is. There in your bulletin, you can find an outline, and you can see that I've broken down our time together this morning into three major sections. First, we're going to take a look at Jesus' invitation to Peter and Andrew to come and follow him. Second, we're going to take a look at Jesus' invitation for James and John to follow him. And then third, on your outline, we'll talk about application, what it means for us to follow Jesus today. So again, grab your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at number one on your outline, Jesus' invitation to Peter and Andrew to follow him. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It's so simple and yet so entirely complex at the same time. This passage here shows the proper response of a disciple. This shows what it is to be a follower of Jesus. But before we dig into the text, let me remind you of something. That what we're seeing here in this passage is about discipleship. As you compare the other Gospels to this, we know that these particular men, they've met Jesus before. This is not the first encounter that they've had with Jesus. This is their invitation now to come and follow Jesus as a disciple. The reason this is important for us to understand is because uh, the gospel is that our salvation is a free gift. Because Jesus laid down his life, our salvation, what you and I receive, the forgiveness of our sins is a free gift. It's given to us by grace through faith in Jesus. And while salvation is free, what we see here in this passage, discipleship, is very costly. So while salvation is free, it's a free gift, what we see here in this passage is the cost of following Jesus as his disciple. Notice the scene in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4. Picture this in your mind. Matthew says in verse 18 of chapter 4, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This, by the way, is one of my favorite places to visit if you've ever been to Israel, to walk by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. If you've never been, you need to go. You can picture this in your mind. Here are these two brothers. They're from the nearby town of Bethsaida, but they are, uh, their business is centered here in the city of Capernaum, and they're doing what they've done every day. Matthew tells us that they're fishermen. So Jesus is walking by the sea, and he sees these two brothers. They're minding their own business. They're doing what they did every day. Matthew says they were casting a net into the sea. A routine day. But then Jesus enters into the scene and he changes everything. Notice the call, the invitation that we see in verse 19. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. These two brothers, again, minding their own business, doing what they always did, and Jesus enters the scene and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now actually the Greek text here says it a little differently. The Greek text here in Matthew chapter 4, it literally says, and Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now why is this important? Greek scholars who are much more intelligent than I would tell you that Matthew is writing this way. It's called a historical present. And so he's describing a past event in the present tense so that you and I today can pretend as though we were there. This story is living. 
And we're invited to put ourselves into the scene. We are invited to put ourselves there along the seashore of the Sea of Galilee and hear afresh this invitation from Jesus. Jesus says to them, and by extension he says to us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice the two parts of what Jesus says here. The two parts of what Jesus says here, there's what's required and there's what's promised. The first part, what's required, Jesus says, follow me. And what's promised, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. What's required and what's promised. Our job is to follow Jesus. That's the requirement. His job is to make us fishers of men. That's the promise. This is important for us to keep in mind. Our job as followers of Jesus is to follow him. His job is to make us into fishers of men. Well, notice how the disciples respond. Notice there in verse 20. Immediately, Matthew says in Matthew 4.20. The response of these two men, of Peter and Andrew, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Notice again, two things we see here in this verse. We see the immediacy of their response and we see the absolute surrender laying down of what they have. Instant obedience. Radical abandonment. There's no hesitation and they rush immediately to obey him. They radically abandoned everything they have to follow him. I love how one scholar puts this uh, commentary written by a man named Eugene Boring. That's the worst name you could possibly have if you're a Bible scholar. But it's an unfortunate name, especially because the commentary is quite good. But listen to what Dr. Eugene Boring has to say here. He says, no explanation has been given to the disciples. They're not told why they should follow Jesus, what following him would mean, or where this path would lead them. But he says, we're met here with Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of Matthew, the miracle of his powerful word that creates a following that makes disciples. I love that from Mr. Boring, Dr. Boring pointing out that these men knew nothing of why they should follow Jesus. They knew nothing of what following Jesus would mean. They knew nothing of where following Jesus would take them. But here's the key. Immediately, they left their nets. They followed him. These two men left what they knew in order to become someone new. They left what they knew, their fishing trade, in order to become someone new. Jesus would make them into fishers of men. And just to remind you once again that this invitation is just as real for you and me as it was for them. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers 
of men. And at times we have to leave what we know in order to be made into someone new. Follow me. That's the requirement. And I will make you fishers of men. That's the promise. What we do is follow him. What he does is make us into someone new. And listen again, I know that this sounds so simple. And it is in theory. But we also know that this is much more complex in the day-to-day realities of life. Our job is to follow him. His job is to make us into fishers of men. My fear is that sometimes we lose sight of this very simple truth. The great preacher E.V. Hill once said that the church throughout all time has struggled with the temptation to be keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. We struggled with the temptation to be keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. And let me ask you this morning, are you a keeper of the aquarium, a protector of the status quo, or are you following Jesus who's going to make you into fishers of men? That's enough conviction. Let's move to number two on your outline as we take a look at Jesus' invitation to James and John in the invitation to follow him. Grab your Bibles, follow along with me as I read for you Matthew chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. Jesus' invitation to James and John. Notice this. Verse 21 says, Going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, once again, we see two brothers. They're casually minding their own business. They're doing what they did perhaps every day when suddenly Jesus steps into the scene and changes everything. Just like with Simon and Andrew, here Jesus calls James and John to follow him. But notice the interesting addition here. Twice in these verses, we're told that James and John are there with their father Zebedee. Twice we see the name of Zebedee. Why? To show just what James and John were willing to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. Not only leaving their trade, but also leaving their own father in the process. Notice as well their response, verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Just like with Peter and Andrew, the reaction of James and John is immediate and radical. Immediately they left the boat, they left their father, and they followed Jesus. They left what they knew in order to become someone new. This is basically the same song, second verse. And once again, the invitation extends to you and to me. So let me ask you, are you willing to break off anything and everything to follow him? If you're honest, 
If you're like me, you've wrestled with that question. Is it really worth it? This is a high calling, is it not? To be willing to leave behind everything we have known in order for Jesus to make us into someone new? I mean, here we see the disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, the cost of following Jesus. It was an economic, it was a relational, uh, it was a deep cost for them to leave what they know to become someone new. Instant obedience and total abandonment. Is it worth it is the question. Throughout this series, we're gonna see that the answer is a resounding yes. As we take a closer look into the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see that no matter what he asks, it's ultimately worth it because Jesus is the only one who lays down his life so that we can live. We're gonna end this series in Revelation chapter five and we'll see there that Jesus is the only one who is worthy to take the scroll, to open the seals and to inherit this world and to fix what we have ultimately broken. More on that in coming weeks. For now, what I want you to see here in this passage is that like these disciples, the call of Jesus on our life often means we have to leave what we know in order to become someone new. I love what Charles Spurgeon says on this verse. He says, when Christ calls us by his grace, we ought not only to remember what we are, but we also ought to think of what he can make us. He says, it is follow me and I will make you. We should repent of what we have been, but rejoice in what we may be. It is not follow me because of what you are already. It is not follow me because you may make something of yourself, but follow me because of what I will make you. Again, this is a challenge for us. I'm so grateful to be back here in Dallas. This is a great city. I love the city of Dallas. But one of the things we have to be mindful of is living in a place like Dallas, we feel that temptation to make a name for ourselves. Going all the way back to the Tower of Babel, to make a name for ourselves, to see what we can make of ourselves. When what Jesus is calling us to here is to leave that all behind, to leave what we have known so that he can make us into someone new. So as we think about what this looks like in day-to-day life, I want you to take a look at number three on your outline, the application. And what I want you to see here is that the key to this application is in the response of the disciples to Jesus' call on their life to follow him. Notice again verses 20 and 22. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Three repeated words we see here. Number one is immediately. If we want to know what this looks like in our life, the first key is in that word immediately. All at once, right away, no reservation, no excuses, no delay, no disobedience. Immediately, they followed him. The second repeated word we see here is that word left. Left. 
They left their nets. They left their boats. They left their father. This word left means to abandon, to leave behind, to release, no matter the cost. And the third big word there, repeated word, is that word follow. Instant obedience, total abandonment so that we may truly follow him. Follow me and I will make you. So what are we doing now? As we enter into this new time with a new senior pastor here at Grace Bible Church, what are we doing now? I want us to begin by just going back to the simple basics of what it is to following him. I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you stop doing this. I'm not suggesting that you weren't doing this under Andy's leadership. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I'm saying is we need to recommit ourselves to refocus our minds and our hearts and our affections to this, to the simple message of following him. The bad news is that I promise we're going to stumble along the way. Probably like you, as I read the newspapers, as I see what's going on in the world around us, uh, it's clear that we live in a broken world. You don't need tremendous vision to see that. Probably like you, I would say that as I look back on the past year of the Big C Church, this has not been the best year we've ever had, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, in our calling to follow Jesus and Jesus' promise to make us fishers of men, sometimes we unfortunately end up drowning in the vortex of negativity from the world around us. And at times we've been guilty of trying to jump in the lifeboats that our broken world is trying to convince us they have the answers, they have the solutions, when in fact they don't. At the end of the day, we've ended up looking a lot like the fallen world. We've fallen, we've failed in many ways. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus calls men and women knowing that we will fail. Another scholar says this, that when Jesus entered Peter's life, this plain fisherman became a new person with new goals and new priorities. He did not, however, become a perfect person, and Simon Peter never stopped being Simon Peter. Jesus was looking for real people. He chose people who could be changed by his love. He sent them out to communicate his message, even to those who would fail. And we may wonder... What Jesus sees in us when he calls us to follow him. But we know that Jesus accepted Peter. We know that despite all of Peter's failures, Peter went on to do great things for God. So keep on following Jesus even when you fail. Praise be to God that he uses us. That he doesn't cast us aside when we fail to follow him as we really should. You know, as I think about this passage, as I've read this passage over and over again this week, I was reminded that there's two kinds of people. There are task-oriented people, and there are relationship-oriented people, right? There's task-oriented people, and there's relationship-oriented people. If I were to invite the entire church over to my house, 
which I don't have a house yet, so this is purely hypothetical. Uh, Bill and Gail are working hard to find us one, but, but so nobody come over today. But if I were to invite the entire church over, the task-oriented people would say, well, what are we going to do? You have volleyball in the backyard, you have a swimming pool, I mean, we're going to grill out, it's the 4th of July, what are we going to do? But people-oriented people, relationship-oriented people would ask, well, who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? And here in this passage, we see a mixture of both. What I want you to see is that when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what they were going to do, but it didn't matter because all that matters is that they knew who they would be with. What we see here in Matthew chapter four is that when Jesus extends this invitation to follow him, we don't often know where we're going. We don't know often what we will do, but it doesn't matter because we know who we will be with. So the question this morning, Grace, is what are we going to do now? It's gonna begin by following him, by relationally making sure we're following him above all else. There on the back side of your outline, I've given you some application questions to consider this week. And uh, one thing I do every week, because I know you're busy, I know we all have things to do, because we're, many of us are task-oriented people. And so if you're busy, then at the end there, I always give you one thing each week. If you have time for absolutely nothing else, I ask that you do just one thing. And your one thing for this week is this. I want you to think about what I just said, that the disciples didn't know where they were going, but they knew who they would be with. And then here's the question. How does knowing that Jesus is with you bring comfort to your life in this broken world today? So what are we doing now? My plan in this series is to remind us to keep the main thing, the main thing. And here in Matthew chapter 4, to begin this series, we see that we might have to leave behind what we know in order to become someone new. And I know that at times that can be terrifying and scary. But we also are comforted, comforted with the fact that although we don't know where we're going, we don't know where Jesus will take us, that doesn't matter because we know who we will be with. So what are we gonna do now? It really begins by doing the same thing that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you, Father, for the promises we see that even in the midst of a, a changing world, even in the midst of a fallen world, a broken world, Father, thank you that in your Son you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. Now, Father, thank you that all we, we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know the challenges and obstacles that may lay ahead. Now, Father, we thank you that ultimately we know that we can trust you that ultimately we know that you've invited us to follow our Savior and that he's promised to make us into fishers of men. Father, I pray for our church, I pray for this church moving forward, that we can continue to 
proclaim your word, we can continue to find rest in your gospel, that we continue to share the riches of God's grace with an impoverished world. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of what you are doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.